From the movie house to your widescreen at home, Radio 111's Going to the Cinema and the streaming services on Flicks and Picks with Brian Mendoza. So grab your popcorn and beverage of choice and step into our screening room for our weekly forum on film. Now, here's Brian. Hey, welcome back to the <clears throat> Radio 111 screening room. This is Brian Mendoza. And you might be asking, why is he talking so low, a little bit quieter than usual? I'm still recovering from my cold. It's not COVID, but still. So I might be a little bit more quiet than usual. Please forgive the um, pauses here and there to make sure my voice doesn't exert itself because I'm doing this and another show. So, you know, I do it because I love all of you. But and also because I saw the Eternals and also I gotta catch I gotta definitely get on that bandwagon. That's how it is sometimes reviewing movies. You kinda feel like you have to get on this bandwagon and talk about the movie as it's going on, especially considering the state of the movies where literally every week a new movie comes out and it feels like the conversation keeps going slowly but surely to another movie. Or actually, honestly, it feels like it's going really, really fast. So it used to be slowly but surely. Like, you'll eventually go on to a different movie. So, like, this movie would be the discourse, and then another movie would be the discourse, and then another movie would truly take over the discourse, but now it's almost on a weekly basis. But I'm not sure about Eternals yet. Like, so far, I think Eternals is definitely the discourse at this point. We're, we're going to talk about that along with Spencer and a couple other movie news we're going to talk about here and there. Um, no Alec Baldwin this, year, this week, because there isn't any real updates on that but of course i'll give you updates as we go along but you know considering the nature of that story at this point it's a lot of like you know speculation and celebrity gossip and i'm not here for it so if you're wondering any updates on the alec baldwin situation you are not going to hear them from me at this point because i don't do celebrity gossip like that like i try not to do it but i think that no matter how you try to talk about it it is going to be celebrity gossip no matter what so I want to talk about the Eternals, or it's called Eternals. It's the latest Marvel movie in that's coming out this year. It is a basically the saga of the Eternals, a race of immortal beings who lived on Earth, and they're not supposed to interfere with human conflict, but they're basically fate having their own conflict against a group of deviants monsters who are set to destroy thing I, I don't know honestly like it th that was kind of the it's kind of spoiler territory but basically they're in this constant battle with the deviants which are a race of like alien creatures that want to destroy the human race and don't seem to have their own goals and so the eternals fight against them but then it's basically how the eternals shape human history and it's also one of those movies where the eternals may or may not be the heroes that we believe them to be so right off the bat going into eternals it's been two weeks since the movie first premiered and has had a lot of reviews coming in it is the first marvel movie first marvel cinematic universe movie to get a rotten score on rotten tomatoes and i do want to make one thing clear a rotten score doesn't mean your movie is bad what it really means is that most people didn't give it a overly positive review because sometimes a critic can literally say the movie is flawed a little bit and get a rotten t uh, and put down and they give like a rotten symbol on there like the rotten tomato instead of like 
<clears throat> fresh. So, excuse me again. I was going to say that, so it's kind of one of those things where, like, even the most kind review that may or may not have nice things to say will sometimes register as rotten. It's kind of a weird system where if you don't read the actual text of the review, you might not see what they're saying. That's why I always tell people, don't look at my star ratings or hear that out, you know, listen to what I have to say because that's basically what happened with this movie a lot of critics have been praising a lot of qualities about this movie but because you know the system is the way it is it went down a lot and so the Rotten Tomato score is now at 49% for critics and is around the 80s for audiences of as of today basically as of November 6 that's the 84% is for the audience score and the 49% is for um, critic, uh, critics, yes. So, why is Eternals hitting a little differently than the other Marvel movies? How come we've gotten a lot of criticism of Marvel movies being the same old, same old stuff, but why is Eternals getting hit a little differently? And I'm going to go ahead and try to answer that through my own review. I think, quite frankly, Eternals is very ambitious, but I think it hits a little differently because it's so ambitious and it tries to be something else that when it doesn't truly succeed at doing that it feels more disappointing and that's how i feel about this movie i feel like this movie wants to be because it's directed by chloe Zhao. it wants to be a little bit more cerebral a little bit more intellectual a little bit more um epic in scale it wants to be like a really big ambitious marvel movie but I think because, A, I don't think they have compelling enough villains in the story for me to root for, to root against, I mean, and I feel like they don't develop their heroes that well. Like, I mean, the performances are really great. Everybody's really great. I think if there's any standouts, it'd be Gemma Chan as um, Cersei, uh, Angelina Jolie as Dina. I actually liked Selma Hayek as Ajak, and honestly, Camille Nanjani as Kingu he uh, steals the whole show. He really does. He steals the whole show. I think he deserved more screen time. And I honestly, quite frankly, believe that he deserved far more than this movie had offered. So in the end, I feel like this movie had a lot of great people in it and a lot of like really strong cast. It had a really strong cast, but it just didn't do much with them because I didn't know much of these characters at the end of it. I feel like people underestimate that the Marvel humor is there to sort of, because let's be honest, people are always trying to be funny in real life. So it feels relatable when your heroes kind of laugh at the situation that they're in because that's just how we are sometimes. Like I've met people who laugh at something horrible that happened to them and you almost want to tell them like, wait, what's going on? But it doesn't mean the situation's still not bad. They just laugh at it. And so that's why I always appreciated the Marvel humor because it feels authentic and sometimes they can get too much right but this is a case where they didn't have enough of it so like you you almost get the impression that these characters aren't fully fledged and so th i think that's a problem is that maybe the marvel movies shouldn't overly rely on their humor for it but there is some humor in this way don't get me wrong when it when it's funny it's funny so i do want to point that out there but I just didn't get to know anybody. Like, I don't know how to put it, but like, I just didn't feel like I got to know anybody while watching this movie. But it's a great cast. And so I think the cast really exemplifies 
what's on the script not exemplifies but amplifies i mean because if they exemplify what's on the script it's not gonna really work out right but they amplify what's already on there and so i enjoyed watching a really good cast but i wasn't sure if i enjoyed watching characters you know what i mean and also i feel like there's too many things going on like there was a subplot about athena the angelina jolie character not having to uh, having this weird memory situation not not being triggered and all that it's kind of weird i'm not trying to spoil the movie again because it's one of those movies where if you say anything it's almost like a spoiler that's why if you watch the trailers it's so vague what's about but it's also like but you also have like the subplot about what happened to ajax you know what's going on with her and the fact that all these eternals are separated so long ago and now they're basically getting the gang back together again there's also various subplots like Camille Nanjani's character Kingu having his own conflict about being a hero but also wanting to be a Bollywood star and you also have Icarus played by Richard Madden who's a big part of this movie and his love story with uh Cersei played by Gemma Chen and Gemma Chen's character generally having this love triangle which is kind of weird that a Marvel movie that has that centers a woman as it's the lead um, hero of this team, that her main conflict is this love triangle, and it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like the conflict they try to give her later on, which is like, can she lead, is really fully fleshed out, which is kind of a shame because I feel like that would have been a really good way of taking this film. With that being said, I think that it is a very fun movie like i certainly had a fun time watching it and i certainly didn't mind watching it in the end and i was glad that i did and i think that i got to give chloe Zhao a lot of credit for directing some really good action scenes and the acting was just everyone was on their level like genuinely speaking everybody knew what to do and they understood the assignment as the kids would say and they really exceeded but the problem was that i i still felt that there was a lot of contrivances here and there. Like, there's a character named Sprite where I wasn't a big fan of that character. And so at the end, the what happens to that character, I didn't think was rewarding. I thought it was kind of like, I get what they're trying to do because there's a real-life circumstance. It's one of those spoiler things I can't say, but basically there's a reality attached to why this character had to change by the end of the film. And it's not because of anything meaningful. It's because in real life, something would happen. Something naturally occurs in real life that would make this impractical to keep this character this way forever versus having an actual story reason for it. Because when you watch it, it is kind of it is kind of weird. Like, they have this Peter Pan metaphor in there that's just thrown out of left field. They have a lot of, like weird moments where they throw in metaphors for things like you know icarus or like the actual icarus who flew too close to the sun or peter pan they threw in these things in there and it and it and i get what they're trying to do but it almost seems like they're throwing it at you to sort of be like hey we're deep but you don't have see that's the thing marvel movies can't have depth depth to them it's just that i i just think that they're trying really hard to try to do that and I also feel like, naturally speaking, these things should occur throughout the film. Like, there could be a scene where this character that they're trying to do the Peter Pan metaphor reads Peter Pan. 
like or goes to see a play of Peter and Wendy, a production of it. So it's not like they couldn't do it right. It's just that I think they're trying to do it for the Marvel audience and they get the wrong impression of what kind of audience it is. They're smart. Marvel audience is really smart, so they can pick up on these things pretty well. And it is sad that this is a movie that I think tries to be different in a way that's pretty ambitious, which is bigger scale, diverse casting. And I think that's amazing. But I also think that they needed to make me care about the characters. And I don't think it really did. So of all the Marvel movies that came out this year, this is my least favorite. If we don't count Venom, too. Um, Venom's been out and the ending credit scene makes it sort of part of the MCU in a weird way, but I'm not going to count it in this case, but, um, Eternals would be my least favorite after Black Widow and Shang-Chi. So it is kind of a disappointment to see it go that way. But one last thing, one last thing I want to say about this movie is the end credit sequence has a certain casting decision. If you know what, you know what it is, if you if you know, the mid-credits. And I thought, this is the type of casting decision that the Marvel movie, Marvel movies need more of. I need more ambitious casting decisions, more exciting, innovative ideas like this. So for me, I was a little disappointed that it's such a small part at the end of the film that I was like, see, if the whole movie had took taken more risks like this and actually had more as much energy as this one performer is putting into it, then I would have enjoyed it more. So overall, I would give The Eternals two and a half stars out of four. It's ambitious, it's beautiful to look at, but I wish I cared more. He's been touched by an angel or two. You know, Roger Ebert, Gene Siskel, maybe even Gene Shalit. Here is Brian Mendoza, Talking Cinema, on Radio 111's Flicks and Picks. Hey, welcome back. We're going to talk about Big Mouth and Animaniacs really quickly in this segment because both of them came out around... Actually, they came out the same day, which was yesterday. And so I wanted to talk about the first five episodes of each new season and wanted to kind of give my thoughts on it and then next week we can finish off the conversation but i wanted to get my ideas out my thoughts out first for the first half of each series um animaniacs we'll talk about that one first um animaniacs is basically a series that it's kind of hard to describe other than it's a variety show about a group of uh, these Warner siblings, Yako, Wacko, and Dot, who are these three cartoon characters who create mischief, and they're just outrageous and zany, and their whole shtick is that they basically are three lovable siblings who go around just ruining the lives of other people who deserve it, who are, like, their special friends, like, jerks, bad people, rich people, whatever, you know, people that they personally have issues with, right? And then... They also, and there's also another segment in that series, Pinky and the Brain, which is about two mice who are lab mice who are basically obsessed with taking over the world. And that's it. You might actually remember the series from 1993, and it was like a relatively, it was a pretty big hit at the time. It was a relatively big hit at the time, and so for the, for a while it was, um, 
it was it was it still had a legacy despite the fact that of course like it definitely had in my opinion a big it, it had a there was a moment where nobody talked about it so it's nice to see that it was brought back but animaniac season two for what it is just real quick it's more or less the same as season one of the new series so if you are a fan of the revival and you like where it went especially considering that it they had the same cast as the original but they have new writers and limited cast then you know you you'll get the same thing with season two i do think if i'm going to be honest with you that the limited cast situation like without characters like rita and runt slappy um you know these characters that were in the original animaniacs i kind of feel like they're missing out a little bit and i feel like they really add variety when they have these different kinds of characters it's one of those things where like i kind of hate it when it's kind of like snl where if you've never seen animaniacs just imagine snl like the original cast of snl and the only people they cared about was like jim belushi and um uh, john belushi i mean and bill murray i know he's not in the exact original cast but still or Chevy Chase. Like, if they only did Chevy Chase and John Belushi sketches and everybody else was thrown to the side, it wouldn't be as funny. And I know that there's a version... I know something like that did kind of happen. So, I'm just trying to say again for Animaniacs, so far, I would give it three stars out of four. The first f- the first five episodes, I think they're good. I just think the limited cast is starting to sort of rain down on this show's parade. And then Big Mouth... Big Mouth is a little bit more of an ambitious show because it has more of a story. It's basically about a group of teenagers who go through their puberty hormones with literal hormone monsters and they're horny. That's basically the show's premise. It's horny teenagers trying to live their lives and trying to deal with their self-esteem issues and complicated life love stories. I think I've always thought Big Mouth was actually a pretty funny show. Like I remember when it first came out, people called it child porn because of the fact that it is like a very grotesque very vulgar show with children in it and look i get it i understand what they were saying but it is so gross that i don't understand it's just a gross show but yet it's also like this really moving thoughtful perspective uh, portrayal of like being a teenager and i think that it hides its gross its heart within the grossness you know it's kind of like if you're holding if the show holds its heart it wears its heart on its sleeve but it throws up on it every once in a while but it's still there you know i think in this particular season they do a really good job of like showing how the teenagers have crushes on each other and they and i love the fact that they keep on building on this mythology of like the different types of characters and monsters and uh feelings that they would experience growing up so i like the fact that there's a literal love bug instead of just a hormone monster that knows how to talk about love I love the fact that they have like a love bug. So there's a sort the world is building pretty well. And also I got to say that I think casting the a black actress to play um the the I always forget her name um the I please forgive me. I'm trying to figure it out. Oh, Missy. I love the fact that <clears throat> it actually is a much more authentic portrayal this time around like it really is far more authentic this time around so i'm glad that they're able to explore that aspect but going through the show big mouth is actually like really smart and so i will this season certainly 
is as on par with last season. The show has not dwindled in quality, in my opinion. I think the show has definitely kept a consistent quality because it's always trying something new. But I think that's the difference between Animaniacs and Big Mouth is that Animaniacs for a while was considered innovative and now it's sort of been staled. And I'm worried about its staleness, whereas Big Mouth continues to try to be innovative every year, continues to try to gross itself out. It continues to try to be bigger and more ambitious, but also without losing its heart. Like it knows it's a show about growing up and how difficult it is. And I think that's why I'm more attached to Big Mouth. And so I'm gonna be honest, I'm gonna give so far what I love about Big Mouth, like um, three and a half stars out of four. Usually I'm very, I always try to reserve the four stars for the end of the show. So we'll see how this season ends. But consistently speaking, I've given Big Mouth four stars throughout its run. So I think it's going to get there. We'll just have to see. I'll come back next week to talk about the end of that season. But we'll be right back. If you love motion pictures, you've made it to the screening room on time. Radio 111 presents Flicks and Picks with Brian Mendoza. Hey, welcome back. We're going to talk about, uh, I'm feeling a little bit better, so you might hear my voice actually improving for once. Um, Spencer. I've been wanting to watch this one now. I was more excited for Eternals at first because I was like, oh, you know, Marvel's been kind of doing pretty well this year. And, you know, Chloe Zhao's a director and I like her. I liked her a lot for Nomadland. So it was it was weird because later on, starting with when the advertisement for Spencer started coming out, I'm like, you know what? Spencer looks really great. And it's such a shame it came out the same weekend as Eternals because I feel like the audience for Spencer... You know, I'm, I'm glad the audience is going to go there, but I'm, I kind of want to see some of the Marvel people go over to Spencer because, you know, it's such an I think it's such an ambitious movie. Basically, um, Spencer is a keyword fictionalized account of Diana's decision to end her marriage over the course of three days, which is Christmas Eve, Christmas and Boxing Day. So you have a Christmas movie if you want to see it. Some of you are anti-Christmas during November. I'm not. I'll watch a Christmas movie during November. I don't care. I'll even watch one during July. This is like the second Christmas movie that Kristen Stewart's made. And I am and I enjoyed that other one too. But um, Kristen Stewart plays Princess Diana. And it is a very thoughtful, very controversial portrayal of Di- Princess Diana. Because she is... You get this version of Diana that's bulimic, who has an eating disorder, who is depressed, who is unhappy, who is visibly um, belligerent, who is uh, ditzy and flawed, but also graceful, but also like beautiful in her own way, like thoughtful, kind and sweet. So it's like all this like it's a very complicated. And the reason why I say controversial portrayal is because I think a lot of people are thinking they're going to get like this glamorous movie but it's not the case because the director if you know anything this this director um pablo uh, lorraine who is a chilean filmmaker he made he made two really good movies no and a biopic about jackie kennedy called jackie and i think that what i love about his directing style is that he takes this very psychological edge to these biopics and he knows how to like pick apart the way these women function and the way their lives were and i think that 
in the case of Spencer, he really knows how to like show that Diana was a very complex person, that she was not someone that she was not the person you saw on TV, that she was a lot more than that, that certainly she was an authentic person. Like, I don't think anyone's going to deny the fact that once Diana got out of the marriage, that her, her authenticity always bled through. But once you got out of the marriage, it really was cemented itself there. So if you if you did some history hist- historical research, you see that. But I like the fact that she that he really does do a good job showing Diana as this troubled woman, and I think that it feels respectful and it doesn't feel exploitative. And so I got to be honest, it's I really like this movie. I actually really loved it a lot. I thought it was quiet but yet it was also very magnetic he was just it was aggressive in how it was not afraid to show you that princess diana was not happy but it was also very but it didn't feel like i was watching like another season of the crown like i love the crown don't get me wrong like that fourth season really does kick but spencer is in a different way a movie that's very it's a very it's a fable almost like they even say in the beginning a fable based on true events it feels like this surrealist way of looking at how diana's life changed in those in those three days and i think that kristen stewart is the key to all this this whole movie i think it's a beautiful movie to look at the score is very powerful it's like very jazz it's it's crazy it's erratic form of jazz because it it, one moment it's really calm but it's also like really erratic and all over the place and it kind of and it fits and so outside of the filmmaking i think that the real reason this movie succeeds is a lot like how jackie succeeded because of its lead um kristen stewart does such a great job with like diana spencer that she really gets lost into it and i think that it's a shame that kristen stewart has to prove herself continuously continuously that the girl can act she can really act the woman can has always been consistent i think that because people saw her in twilight that they're under the impression that they know her entire acting career no you do not she is the first and only american actress to get a caesar award and it's it it, it is such a shame that she has to continuously prove to people that she can act and I and I'm I'm not sure, I I don't know I'm I'm not surprised that she is. I'm not I'm definitely not surprised that she, like, conti- that she felt the need to take this part, because even though she claimed oh I wasn't exactly attached to the part at first I still took it because it was like a. Um, how do I put it this way? Like it was still like a gut instinct of hers to take it. Like, she still felt like it was important for her to take it. Well, guess what? It's great that she did because she was able to really not sound exactly like Diana, but capture her heart and her soul. And And I think that because it is such a fictionalized take on it, I, like the, I, I think her depiction of mental illness and depression is very respectful. I love the fact that there's these scenes where Diana literally is just sort of looking at things and you can tell that she's upset about it and even if it's not a big deal like someone sewing up her curtain so she doesn't get looked at you still feel it like you still feel like her sadness and you can still see it on her face 
And I love that about her. And I love the fact that, like, Kristen Stewart really knows how to really knows how to make Diana a very likable person while she does things that you may find frustrating. Like I, and I say frustrating in the kindest way because I feel like it's not trying to be dishonest about how Diana would show up late to things like show up late to dinner and show up late to breakfast and that she would wear a different kind of dress. And that's okay because you know, life is not that good even if you're a royal you know like and i love the fact that like diana wants to get out of this relationship with her husband by the way the relationship between her and her husband has a little screen time but you get so much information out of it there's this really wonderful interaction where diana's sitting there with charles and charles basically goes on this tiny little explanation about how food is made and he basically tells you, you know, you probably should eat it because of all because of all the effort that's been put into making that food for you. And it was so villainous, and yet it didn't feel over the top. Like I love that. Like I, I love the fact that Charles was not depicted as like an over the top villain, but it was still shown as he was still shown as like a jerk. That he was still not a very good person to her, and that their relationship was already going down the drain, and that. It's, the family was very image conscious like even having her wear a different outfit for every dinner and breakfast that's that's a little ridiculous in my opinion because I know plenty of people in real life that are in their pajamas all day when it comes to Christmas so you know I'm, I'm a little sh- let's just say I'm not surprised someone would go crazy in a house where you have to constantly change outfits for every dinner every breakfast, every lunch, especially during the course of three days. Not great, right? Especially, it's, and I love the fact that there's nothing glamorized about the way she lived. Like, you understand she lived in this big house, and you understand the fact that she has all these servants, but I love the fact that Diana is just shown as a real person who doesn't really enjoy all this. Like, she doesn't see what the big deal is about literally having a waiting staff like she's she literally thinks wow am i supposed to be coddled like am i i can dress myself i don't need to be dressed and in the film even though like there is this temptation to almost yell at diana and say diana you're rich enjoy it i appreciate that the film goes out of its way to show that no being rich does not make you happy and that someone like diana had depression and was mistreated and was really horribly like I, i'm gonna be honest horribly like stalked by the press and, and and there's gonna be some conversation about how the press are depicted here but i love the fact that like even though there's fears about the press watching her every second i love the fact that it wasn't always about that that there, that there are certain things about this film that it alludes to but that you don't see directly and i and i and i feel like the director really knew how to capture those types of moments well like the idea that the press could be watching any moment you felt that nervousness but then you go on this journey with diana where she doesn't care anymore that she just wants to go and be at her old house there's that there's a subplot in the film where she is obsessed with wanting to go back to her old house and be able to visit it one more time and i think that it is such a it's a really powerful symbol for how Diana had changed so much over the years because at first she was a very happy young girl who fell in love with a prince and then eventually got married to him and had to change her public image. 
and so at the end of it it's almost it's almost like in real it's almost like a metaphor for her life like at first she was one person and then she had to become another person whilst trying to keep herself together and then by the end of it she tries to triumph she basically tries to get out of it by trying to become the person that she used to be and at the end of the story becoming not exactly who she used to be but becoming a more authentic person by the end and i think that that's the beauty of spencer is that it is a story about a woman ultimately trying to move on there's this wonderful conversation about what the past present and future means to the royal family and diana says there's only the present but i think the film does a really good makes a really good argument that in the case of diana her past present and future are all interconnected and so it, I don't want to spoil too much of it because I know it happens in real life, but still, because it's a fictionalized take on it, I'm not going to spoil what the final message of the film is, but it's basically the idea that you can build your own, you can build your own future and your own life without, um, without being too concerned with what the present is going on. Like it, that's, I think I did, I gave you the message, but I'm not going to tell you in what context the message is being used. Like, I'm not going to tell you what the scene is, but, and, and but it's a great film. You got to go see it. it. I think Spencer is a really great movie. I think that, that Kristen Stewart really delivers the performance of her life. This is a career best. If she does not get an Oscar nomination, I'll be, it would be a very strong year. I would hope it'd be a strong year because if she does not get an Oscar nomination and it is a weak year, I'm going to be very upset because she does deliver the best performance of her career and she really is just phenomenal in it and I think that this movie lives and breathes off of her performance and also I love director Pablo Lorraine's uh, like ability to capture women and their troubles and I just think it's so wonderful you know to go from Jackie to Spencer to be able to do a similar thing which is it's like an iconic woman from history and capture who she was because she had a lot of mental issues going on and let's not dehumanize her but make her even more approachable even more of a person for you to relate to so and i and i think that he does a really good job with that thesis statement so kudos to everybody who made this movie this is it's i think it's a masterpiece of psychological drama and and kristen stewart just really is princess diana in this film Go check it out. It's I give it four out of four stars. But hey, stay tuned. We're going to talk some movie news here on Flicks and Picks. Big screen blockbuster. Little Screen Stream, Festival Favorites, Award Show Nominees, Winners, and the Occasional Pan. This is Flicks and Picks on Radio 111. Here's Brian Mendoza. Hey, we're on our final segment of the show, and I gotta say that there is... A lot of movie news to talk about, so I wanted to get it out real quick. Uh, Gal Gadot's going to be playing um, the Evil Queen in the Snow White reboot. I think it's not a bad casting decision, personally for me. 
Not a big, not the biggest fan of Gal Gadot as for who she is, but I think that it's not a terrible casting decision. I think that if anything, it's a curious one. It makes, sorry about that. It makes sense. That caught off me by surprise. Please forgive me. Lord have mercy. The, the woes of getting better. You get caught off by surprise. I'm like, oh, Lord have mercy. But, um, Gal Gadot is really like a, um, I think she is a very curious actress. Like, I think she can pull off some parts pretty well, but I don't know. I don't know. And I know some people are saying that, oh, she has to sing. Well, the Wicked Witch has never, the, the Evil Witch, I mean, not the Wicked Witch, the Evil Witch from Snow White has never been a singing part to begin with. So I don't know. I'm curious to see how she will do with the disguise, but we'll see. But in terms of singing, I'm going to talk about it on the other show, Desert Scene, a little bit later on. Alphaba, Alphaba and uh, Glinda have been cast in the upcoming Wicked musical, at a musical adaptation directed by John Cho. It's going to be Cynthia Rivio as Alphaba. I think that's a great casting decision. You've seen her in Harriet, and she did the original Color Purple. Uh, not the original movie, but the original uh, Broadway production of The Color Purple. And also um, Ariana Grande, who um, is going to be playing Glinda. You've seen, you've heard her sing multiple times, and she's also done Hairspray, a production of Hairspray on for NBC. I got to be honest, I don't think they're bad casting decisions. I think I'm more excited for Cynthia Rubio because I think she can definitely pull it off. I'm especially excited to see how Ariana Grande is going to do it because I think it is a very curious casting decision. So we'll have to see about that one. But I'm not I'm not mad. I'm, 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 I'm trying to be supportive. I don't think they're the worst casting decisions. And I think Cynthia Rubio especially is going to... She can do it. I, I'm, I'm more concerned about their chemistry together because I have never seen them together in anything. So that's the important thing is the chemistry. I think both of them have the vocal ranges for the performances. And I think they both could act, especially Cynthia Rubio. But I'm curious to see about the chemistry. And I'm also curious to see how John Cho would handle it because I think John Cho is a very hit and miss director. I loved um, In the Heights, but... I think his other movies, you know, can certainly improve upon things. But moving on to production problems, Black Panther 2's production has actually been delayed. And it's actually been revealed the actual delay was a Latita Wright's injury has gotten worse. Or at least they finally revealed that the, her injury earlier is has not healed all the way. So it's going to be closed down for the rest of the year. So in 2022, they're going to re- resume um, production. So I'm not surprised, I'm not surprised at all, but it would explain why they had to delay the movie a little bit further, why all the production delays and all that, which makes sense. And I think that it's good, good on Marvel for doing that. Good on Marvel. I know there's a lot of controversy on her, but I mean, I'm going to be honest. I hope she gets better because I, I really want to see Black Panther too. I really do. And also I think, I don't know. I know some people have found out some things about her, but I'm not sure because, again, they're not substantiated. Until I see it directly in my face, I'm not exactly sure if I want to believe the things that people say. Um, unfortunately, Nick uh, Kopak, um, a crew member off of the new Indiana Jones movie, he has passed away. They found him dead, and that is 
it, it remains to see it remains to be seen like what exactly happened i think it was not, it was not an offset error it was just an obvious tragedy from what i've seen and they basically said that this man died 54 for of natural causes and the production is going to be paused out of respect for Quebec. But what a shame, especially considering all the circumstances that happened recently. <sighs> what a shame. But to end the show on an interesting, on a, I'm not going to say interesting note, but to end the show on a specific note, um, considering that I am sick, or at least I'm recovering from being sick, I'm not contagious or anything. And I did two COVID tests, so I'm negative. Um, Los Angeles is going to be a little bit more strict when it comes to COVID cases. There is going to be a vaccine and mask mandate for movie theaters. So I was not surprised about this. In fact, I, in my first episode back, I had said that the vaccine mandate was going to be reaching California pretty soon for movie theaters. I'm not surprised. Um, I feel like in a lot of ways it makes sense. I think it makes a lot of sense. Like, Movie theaters are a place where you people tend to take off their masks and be a little bit more risky. So if you're a business and you live and you're in Los Angeles, you know, definitely exercise that right if you have to. And movie theaters, for the most part, will comply with it because obviously they're not small businesses. So they it's not like they lose anything, really. So I got to say, movie theaters, you know, keep trying to keep them safe. There's I don't see a problem with it at all. And most movie theater goers are vaccinated so i'm not sure what the big issue would be unless you want to make a big issue out of it you know but that's up to you um go see spencer four stars four that is the one four star movie this week um if you want to see eternals definitely but be prepared to be disappointed but spencer great movie features a phenomenal performance by kristen stewart see you next week mm-hmm.